Ah, you obviously know Kung Fu. Hi, this is Emmanuel Manzanares. I'm an action designer, fight coordinator, and filmmaker. I've worked on such films such as Logan, Gemini Man, and the upcoming Harry Haft. And you are listening to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. Joining me tonight is stunt performer, fight coordinator, filmmaker, and co-founder of LBP Stunts Chicago. Having worked on such projects as Logan, Iron Fist, Gemini Man, and the upcoming Bloodshot, Emmanuel Manzanares. Emmanuel, thank you so much for joining the Kung Fu Driving Podcast tonight. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. So listen, uh, I, I listed a couple of great projects up there, and I deliberately picked out a few comic book films, and we'll, we'll get into that in a bit. But were you a comic book fan growing up? Yeah. You know, surprisingly enough, I... I had an uncle of mine who was a big comic book fan and he had this collection, you know, boxes and boxes of stuff. And, (laughs) you know, I always keep him away from the kids, but I was, for whatever reason, I was really into reading growing up. But uh, I think because I took care of them, I understood that it was special to him. He was like, okay, you can (laughs) read them. And yeah, I got really into like, you know, DC and Marvel, thanks to him. And I read a lot of the great 90s runs, you know, of like X-Men, Spider-Man, Batman, but, you know, in retrospect, I guess it's a lot of stuff I shouldn't have read. <laughs> a lot <laughs> sure. of serious topics going on. You know, I read a lot of Frank Miller growing up as well, but I'm like, oh, cool, you know. <laughs> good stuff, good um, stuff. But yeah, I, I definitely grew up learning a lot about different comic books, and uh, Spider-Man's definitely one of my favorites, and Batman as well. Nice, nice. Good characters. Uh, I'm excited particularly about your work on Bloodshot, and we'll get into that, of course. But I personally have a history with the title because I worked at one of the iterations of Valiant during the formation of that whole Volume 2 set of titles. So you're slated to be the co-fight coordinator. Is that right? Uh, Correct. Yes. Cool. And can you tell us anything about the status of the movie or is there still a a veil of secrecy around all of this? Um, I think there's still, you know, finishing up the movie to some degree and, and putting their final touches on it before I, I assume that they get into, you know, their edit, but that's all I really know. You know, I don't really know okay. much else beyond what we did. Well, what kind of stuff did you do? Could you uh, give us a little bit of a clue on that? Yeah. So I came in JJ Perry, who's the supervising stunt coordinator and second year director came in with another stunt coordinator, Troy Robinson. And he paired me up with a the supervising fight coordinator. whose name is Justin Yu. And, you know, the guys 8711 came in, we came in and got a core team together. We did a little bit of prep in LA. And then from there, we went and filmed in uh, Cape Town, South Africa. Oh, cool. So we took a a US team um, and then paired with the South African locals, uh, another company called Piranha Stunts run by uh, Grant Hulley, who's another coordinator there and a couple of other coordinators. And so we paired together and, you know, designed the action for it. So there's some car chases, a couple of different fight scenes, some training sequences, things like that that we did for nice. the film. And what is uh, your early take on some of that stuff? Is it some good stuff? Are you, are you excited about the stuff that you worked on? Yeah, you know, I think what's really interesting, because the director is a, a person by the name of Dave Wilson, who uh, co-owns Blur Studios. You know, Blur Studios obviously coming from Tim Miller, who did the first Deadpool. Um, and Dave is the other side of that coin. And 
uh, it was he comes from a video game background, you know, doing cinematic work and storytelling and things like that. So having his eye in the design, he gave us a huge prep design to work off of, you know, like constant uh, concept work and art and all this really cool story stuff that he wanted to develop and play with. So, you know, developing all that stuff early on because it involves, you know, let's just say a lot of future technology and kind of developing that in fight design and, you know, in action design, it was really cool. It's different. You know, it's not the typical, it's not John Wick. It's not like a Marvel superheroes, you know, it's just different. It's just a bit of a real world element to it, which I think is oh, that's cool. cool. No, that's so, awesome. Yeah, it was cool. Now, uh, the, the terms fight coordinator and fight choreographer for someone on the outside, like me, the, those terms sound sort of the same, but are, are obviously not. Can you tell me the difference between the two? Yeah. So basically, in, in a small nutshell, when you start off as a stunt performer, you kind of start off, you know, either being a what's called a utility stunt performer mm-hmm. um, or an ND stunt performer, nondescript, or you become a stunt double, right? And generally, when you become a ND or utility, you kind of do a little bit of everything. You know, you fight, fall, react, you know, ride wires, do whatever gags you need to do. And then you also help with, you know, developing um, the fights, like if you're part of a fight team. So you're the guy that gets beat up all day. You know, you take all the licks for everyone. You make everybody look good. Um, But from there, sometimes they'll ask for your input. And then over time, you become a fight choreographer because then you start having more of a say in the moves of things or developing moves, developing styles of the characters, working with the actors, you know, training them. And then graduating from choreographer, you become a fight coordinator, which essentially is managing the fight team and the Uh choreographers and the doubles and training the actors. So... When you're the fight coordinator, you essentially are the designer or one of the designers. And then you have to take what the stunt coordinator, second unit director want is their vision. You manage that with the director and the actors. And then you manage the stunt team, you know, the fight team on that end um, to develop and then do that. So you're normally the ones coming in and helping direct what's called previs. It's like a blocking tape for, you know, what the fights would be. Shoot and edit it, you know. It doesn't mean you won't help with choreography, but it generally means that you manage everything. Um, and that's essentially what a fight coordinator is. And so let's say, you know, going forward with that, you, you graduate to a stunt coordinator, then you manage the whole team. You know, everything involves safety and all that. And then from a stunt coordinator, that's how you eventually become a second year director, you know, because then you're now managing getting everything on the B side of what the director wants for like the action, any other specific shots they don't get for certain scenes. And that's kind of the the hierarchy pretty much. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So as a fight coordinator, uh, what kind of approach do you take when you're creating a new fight design or, or designing that new style for, for any new character that you're working on? Uh, well, I always definitely, I go to the source first, you know, so I talk to the director and we read the script and we go over everything. And then, you know, I'm hand in hand with the stunt coordinator. So normally the stunt coordinator will have, many, many talks with the director and the producers. And then from there, hopefully they'll try to create a chain that involves uh, them and that, you know, myself or whoever's part of the fight team. So that way there's a constant chain and a back and forth. And we take whatever their notes and preliminary, you know, concept are designs that they have. And we go and we give them a couple versions, you know, the idea being maybe we give them two to three versions of something. So that way, hopefully we find something we meet in the middle. And then from that middle ground, we then hopefully develop the final version. And that's basically it. The idea is we're there to service what they want. And just as much as the fight coordinator, they're service what the stunt coordinator wants as well uh, for his or her vision. 
And for me, you know, that approach works pretty well because then that way we can really narrow it down thanks to that communication, you know, because when you don't have that and you kind of get, ah, make up this and do that, it's like, well, we can give you anything, but is it right? You know what I mean? Is it going to fit what you're looking for? Because that's kind of the last thing you want to hear is you, you put so much work into something and you're hoping for a good response. And they're like, yeah, I'm not really feeling that. And I'm not doing this. And then when you're like, okay, what are you feeling? And they're like, ah, I don't know. You, you, you do it. Like, <laughs> all right, you got it. You know? Right. So. <laughs> right. 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 For a lot of the fight stuff that gets designed, that relies on a lot of martial arts training or is that, is that even accurate? Uh, well, I definitely think so because, yeah. you know, martial arts always helps with movement. But mm -hmm. with anything else, I mean, you know, you don't want to put too much martial arts because, right, sometimes the characters have no martial art training or that's not the literal aspect of that character. But, you know, I think elements of it help. So obviously the calisthenics of it, just, you know, hand-eye coordination, understanding where their body moves with punching and kicking because – like anything else, you want to play to the strengths of the actor just as much as the character. So, you know, hey, if the actor can only move a certain way, sure, some people might see it as limiting, but I see it as that's also part of your job is the challenge. So what can you play and bring out of them? And if you have a good martial arts background and also know how to work with other movement, you can bring out those elements, make them feel confident. So that way, you know, no one has to know that they're not the best martial artist, but that's also not really the point. You know, like they're there to play the character. Our job is to make them look good just as much as to give them the confidence that we're not only going to make them look good, we're going to make them look as good as much as we can whenever we can. Yeah. Okay. So what exactly is your martial arts background? Uh, I started uh, learning Western boxing when I was five um, through my family. And that kind of just happened because um, I play sports, but I wasn't. I wasn't great at it. You know, I liked it. Like I like basketball and soccer and things like that. I grew up in a Latino household and, you know, I wasn't really into like competitive soccer or competitive team sports. So, you know, my grandfather was like, all right, well, you should learn how to defend yourself because you're a guy. And it's like, okay, but I didn't really know what that meant, you know? So he kind of started <laughs> teaching me how to box. Um, but then when I saw uh, a Bruce Lee movie for the first time, I was like, well, I want to kick everything, you know, <laughs> I, want, I want to jump in the air and, and kick stuff. And um, I wanted to get into martial arts for a while, but there wasn't really any schools in my area. I didn't really grow up in a great area in Chicago, but eventually my mother found a local karate school that was fairly inexpensive. And the sensei was a man named John Cortez, and he learned um, Okinawan Gojuru karate. And he was very traditional, meaning I think my mom paid like 35 bucks for a month. But the impetus was that he's like, well, I own your kid. So like the moment you put the kid in my class, you cannot be in there. There isn't a waiting area. Like that's it. I own him for two hours and that's it. And she was like, all right, cool, whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> her, it was like, great. That sounds great. You know, like you're going to handle it. You're the teacher. I believe you, you know? And yeah, he was very traditional and hard, but not in any malicious way. You know, it was just very, Traditionally stern, I remember the dojo, you know, you had to bow every time you entered and exit. You, you're on hardwood floors. We trained barefoot. There was no heating and and no air conditioning. Wow. Just like fan at most. So when it was summer, it was balls hot. And when it was winter, it was ice cold. Um, <laughs> and there was, you know, both boys and girls, there was no segregation. We're all ages. I remember the age range was anywhere between uh, six to like 13. 
And yeah, we just trained, you know, for two hours straight, like no breaks once we started. And that was the training. I did that for about uh, seven or eight years. And then I had to stop due to school. And then, yeah, I took a break from taking formal martial arts. I kind of, at that point, I trained it of other styles like Kung Fu and Muay Thai and a couple of different Filipino martial arts, but through friends. I didn't really yeah. take any formal uh, classes. I just met other people that had like-minded training and they were like, yeah, do you want to share stuff? Do you want to learn things? And, and that's really what I did. So for a long time, like I didn't really know what I was learning per se. They just said, oh, this is like, you know, uh, Southern Kung Fu or this is, you know, this kind of Filipino form. And then the last time I really took like a formal class uh, was through one of the guys that I had on LBP. His name is Keith Min. And he taught me for about two, three years in Southern Shaolin and in Chingi, um, traditionally, because he's a he's an accredited uh, teacher. And that was about it. So that's basically my background, just Kung Fu, karate, boxing, pretty much. Nice. So how much of that training, though, uh, finds its way into your fight design or, or does it at all? It definitely does. But, you know, sometimes, at least for me, like, you know, sometimes I go to the gym and I just want to work on a specific technique, you know, or a specific thing. And I wouldn't really say that pertains to choreography because sometimes I just want to focus on something that I want to do, you know, or just train generally. But definitely when I'm like playing with ideas, you know, I go and I train them. I train the what the idea is or the form or the technique. And then I go, okay, this feels good to me functionally. How do I then you know, see that from the camera's perspective. I think about it visually and then, yeah, I think it's very important to have that hand in hand. So for me, when I train a specific thing, I want to know how it works for camera. And then I want to also know how to perform it and explain it. So if I have to do that for anyone, whether it's a stunt performer or an actor, you know, or director, I need to be able to not only demonstrate it and show it, but show it for the camera and explain how this method's going to work, you know, because that's one thing is you can do the movement you can perform it. And then the next question they'll ask you is, that's cool. How do you do that? Yeah. And then they'll go, how does that work visually? You know, like we see it and it looks great, but through the camera, how is that going to sell? And you have to know that. So, yeah, I would say it's a definitely a, when I need it to be. It's an important part of my training. Gotcha. Okay. Now, how did you get involved then in filmmaking to begin with? You know, it's funny because growing up, I, I watched a lot of movies. I you know, because I said I, I grew up in a not great area in Chicago, in the north side of Chicago. So my only options at the time were reading video games and watching movies. Because uh, my, my mother, I always joke that my mother um, raised me as a daughter because she kept me inside all the time. She's a very overprotective mom. I, I had a single mom growing up. And um, her thing was like, well, don't go out too much because there's a lot of gang activity. So I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I read a lot and got into video games, but there was always these, these local mom and pop video shops. And I remember my family going to them a lot. Like we never really had Blockbuster. I didn't know what that was until I was like mid-teens, you know. <laughs> okay. But you know, we had these mom and pop shops that showed everything and anything, you know. And then they were really cheap. And so my grandparents or my uncles or whoever would rent a kid's movie and then they'd rent an adult movie, you know. And so I watched Disney movies and then they're like, okay, now we're going to watch our movie because we only had one TV in the house. And eventually my curiosity kind of peaked. So I watched a variety of different things because their rule was if you're going to watch it, you can't say anything and you know, you can't like run off screaming or whatever. Otherwise like don't come back. Basically. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. And yeah, that's how I, I got to see tons of different movies. I probably shouldn't have saw when I was a kid. Right. right. But that's also how I got into watching martial arts movies 
because I remember it was five or six. I saw the Chinese Connection, which is Fist of Fury, right, and that it blew my mind, you know. And then from there, I remember, I don't know, I was ten or eleven, and I remember my grandpa, who's a big influence of watching martial arts films, you know, for however reason he knew, but he was like, "Hey, you should watch this guy." And I remember, I think it was The Protector, you know, a Jackie Chan film. I didn't know who Jackie Chan was, but I was like, "Whoa, this guy's different. He's jumping around. He's using the environment. Like, who does that? That's cool." And then. You know, flash forward to when Rumble in the Bronx came out in 95 or 96. I was like, that's that same guy that was jumping around. Like, you know, I but I didn't know that I was watching this guy for a while growing up. But that's what led me. Like that kind of love for movies led me to filmmaking. And then kind of similar to Blood Story, when I got online and I was like, read these martial arts forums, I found the stunt people. And Eric Jacobus and, you yeah. know, Vlad Rimberg and all these other guys, their gravity... And then when I went out to the Some People Forum, I found there was other groups like them, you know, other indie guys that were doing their thing. And for many years, I just was a fan. I watched and downloaded everything on 56K internet. It took me three days to download like a 300 <laughs> megabyte file, you know. My, yep. I kept plugging the phone and my mom would be like, what the hell are you doing, you know. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I remember watching all their videos and I had other high school friends that would watch the videos with me and we were like, this is really cool. And then one of these days I was like, I want to do that. I want to just go and shoot something like that's what they did. Right. I want to go and make it. And I think we tried that once in 2005 on like a high eight camcorder, you know, from Sony mm. like tapes. Yep. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I was like, yeah, you do this, I think. And then that, and I just watched a bunch of, you know, Jackie Chan movies over and over. And I was like, I think I get the gist of it. And then I realized it was really hard. <laughs> you know, after that, it was, I took a break and then the following year, yeah, I really like studied how to, you know, shoot and edit, but I just went out and did it. I didn't ever went to a film school. I just picked up a camera and was like, you know, I'm just going to keep trying. And if it's not great, whatever, I'll just keep trying. We're having wow. fun. And that's what really led me into making movies is like being able to create something and especially with friends and, and having the vision to try to do something was really exhilarating for me and I thought it was really cool and I guess the fact that I never went to a school for it not that I have anything against her I don't think it's a bad thing just for me again I never had the funds to go I just never had sure. the means but I was like oh I'm not gonna let that hold me back I'm just gonna try it right that's what these guys did yeah so yeah I just went and did it and there you go that's awesome and you do great work. Uh, the work that uh, I've been following with uh, you and Vlad and, and that whole group uh, is such kinetic stuff. Really exciting uh, pieces that come out of that whole group. So uh, kudos to, to you on on doing it on uh, on a nothing budget. <laughs> Thank you. I, I always tell everyone that um, that shoots with me. I don't know what I'm doing, but I tend to figure it out halfway through. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, but no, I, I thank you. I appreciate it. I, I think a lot of that really is on the people that I work with, anyone and everyone that I work with. Because yeah. for me, my impetus is to show off the performers. But mm -hmm. I always tell everyone, you know, I can only do so much as the guy creating it. It's really on you to help me and vice mm -hmm. versa. But if you expect me to make you look good, that's not going to be a winning situation. Because if you put in some of the work and time, trust me, it will it will be great because you are putting it in like, you know, giving your, um, I guess, intention is never going to lie to the camera. But if you just come in and kind of dial in the moves, I mean, it doesn't really matter if you're the best movement person, 
someone will kind of go, oh, okay. Like, it's not going to, it will wow most people, but also you'll get some people going, oh, all right. I mean, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But if you really want to wow people, you, you got to put in the intention. And, you know, it could be any kind of fight. But yeah, that's what I always tell people is like, you make it look great. And when people go, wow, that's great. It's like, that's you. You did it. You know, there's no lying about it. Yeah. And, that, you know, for audiences of martial arts and action films, uh, especially nowadays, they're definitely a lot more savvy to that kind of thing where you can tell if the performer is kind of half-heartedly going through the motions and, uh, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll tell you. <laughs> no, I mean, it's true, you know, like martial arts movie fans, I think like any kind of, you know, aficionados of any kind, I mean, they'll, they'll scrutinize for sure. And listen, you know, you're not going to please everyone. I, I get it. But at the same time, um, I agree is like, if you don't believe it, it's very easy for you to get taken out of the scene. It doesn't have to be the biggest budget, anything, it could be the smallest budget, but it's like exactly if the performer isn't in the moment, if, you know, all cinders aren't firing in the right ways for whatever reason, I mean, someone's going to say something Yeah. and, and that happens sometimes, you know, but, um, I guess in our field, we try to do the best we can with anything that we get, you know, and then it's really up to whoever's running the ship at that point, you know, and that's really what it is. It's like, all we can do is just service it as best we can. And then, on to the next one. Right. Now, when you're behind the camera and you're setting up a scene and you're talking to the actors and uh, you've got it all blocked out and everything's ready to go, when you turn on that camera and you're shooting it, what are you looking at to try to capture uh, that scene's story? You know, particularly a fight scene. Because just sitting back and shooting a fight scene, if, if you just leave the camera there, you're looking at a pretty boring fight scene, right? But you're moving around and you're following certain... Uh, angles and you're thinking ahead to that to how you're going to edit and cut that together so what's the process when you say action to that final cut you know every time i i try to have a, a plan of some sort and then mm -hmm. and then it always kind of goes out the window but <laughs> <laughs> you know but what i mean by that is like i because of my indie background but also because I, i'm heavily influenced by the hong kong method of action design meaning yeah. that I like to see the space. I like to go in on the day and go, okay, how do I feel about this? You know, like, you know, this is you and this is you. These are the two people or how many, many people and how are we going to go about developing this? And then as I develop it for, you know, I might give a start. I might go, okay, here's your beginning point. Here's how this sets up. Here's what you're thinking. And then I like to let the performers give me the other half because that's also why they're there, right? Like they're there to give me their flavor. If I over-direct, then it be feels very mechanical. You know, like I have to give some leeway, at least for me, to give them the opportunity to fill in the spaces. And then from there, I just continue to develop. But yeah, every everything is obviously different. Like I look for, to try to look for a different thing every time. It just depends on whatever the flavor of that certain fight is, I guess. But I try to hopefully be as clear as I can throughout the whole vision. So even though I leave like specific gaps, I try to say, you know, here's this bullet point, here's this bullet point, here's this. But even within that, I try not to get too married to it because sometimes, you know, they might give you something that you didn't think about and you go, oh, that's interesting. You know, like, let me focus on that or let me go off of that. So it's very open-ended for me, but I just try to be clear with the performers and, and give them a definitely a certain amount of expectation of what they're coming into so they understand. And then beyond that, I just say, hey, like, 
that's just what it is sometimes. I, I'm not here to give you all the answers, but I'm also not here to know all the answers. You know, there's certain things that I'm thinking of this. How does that fit to what you're trying to do? You know, like, here's where we're trying to go. What do you think? It helps me just as much. And that's really the way I go about it. It's very much like jazz. Like I play the instrument, I may conduct, they play the instruments back. And then from there we, we get to the finish line together. Cool. Well, how about some of your idols and your influences in the industry? Cause you mentioned a couple of people along the way while we were talking, who were some of those early influences when you were starting out in filmmaking and maybe who are some of those current influences today where you look at their work and go, I, I want to do that too. Well, definitely, you know, Bruce and Jackie for sure early on watching their work. And then I got into uh, Sam Hung a lot. And when I really started studying uh, films more, you know, for, I, I guess action films, but definitely Sam Hung, like I really enjoyed his variety of performers and that he made everybody fight. Like that was the thing I really enjoyed is that he made everybody really fight as much as possible in the sense of it feels real. Like even if yeah. it's the simplest movement or choreography, it doesn't always have to be this like, amazingly technical fight but you know whether it's a man woman you know whatever ethnicity it was or size like it always felt real and i thought that was really cool and then i feel like another uh choreographer coordinator that did that was um jung Doo hung from korea you know mm. with the uh, korean style of action where yeah. it was really about the character and then whatever that character was going through so those are those are influences in that end but there's a i try to look at everyone for sure. And just, you know, take from everyone. There's a lot of different great people out there that are making great things. And I think it's great that everyone has their own style because I think not only does it breed a kind of sense of friendly competition, but also it, it forces you to to think out of the box because someone else is, right? Like yeah. someone else is pitching an idea and you might go, oh, that's interesting. What's my version of that? Or how do I do something just slightly different, you know? Um, and I think that's what helps the industry as a whole, because if everyone just gets stuck doing a, a similar style, then then it's very evident. Oh, sure. everyone's doing that. Everyone's doing this, you know. So I think it's it's cool that we're all doing something different. But um, in terms of today's influences, I mean, it's a bit of everything. Like I've been learning from a lot of different coordinators. JJ Perry is a huge mentor of mine. I also cool. really enjoy watching Ted Stileski work. I've learned under Garrett Warren, who's another famous coordinator who's done, you know, films like Avatar, Logan, Lincoln, a bunch of different amazing films, and uh, Clayton Barber, you know, yeah. Lionel Stovall, like all these different kinds of coordinators have different types of visions and methods. And I think it's really cool that regardless of what they use, they clearly have their own set styles of doing it. You know, all of them have worked with some kind of, you know, Asian choreographer in some way, Asian action designer. Uh, whether it's the older generation or the newer generation. Um, and I think that's also something important from the indie scene, you know, because as us indie guys, we took from the Hong Kong guys. Yeah. And then from there, we started applying what other things we liked, whether it's other Asian cinema or American cinema, European cinema. And that's what those guys did, you know, back then, before YouTube. Those guys worked with Yun Wu Ping or Samuel Hong or Corey Yuen you know, or Jackie Chan. And then they also had their loves of their own cinemas and they worked with other big American directors. So it's cool to see where all those styles go. So for me, yeah, it's really nice to kind of see that progression from before. And that, that to me uh, benefits me. So speaking about the industry, 
the action movie industry isn't going to go anywhere anytime soon. John Wick 3 just came out and just blew the theaters away. Um, but speaking of those styles and the different people coming in and bringing something new to the game, what's the next evolution, in your opinion, in the action movie genre? I mean, for me personally, I would hope that they bring styles back, meaning that it's nice to see different people in different facets of what you normally know you know, or what you don't know. So I think like, for example, you know, what John Wick did, which was really cool is obviously it's, it's guns, jujitsu and judo, right? Like you would figure that's a combo you've seen, but then the way they've done it is something you haven't seen. And then they keep obviously evolving that. But I think for me, what's also cool is like, like kind of, I haven't fully uh, gone out to see John Wick three, but you know, because I've worked with 87 11 and I've just heard some of the stories of how they developed some of the things over there. It's like, it's exactly that, right? They took that first start and then evolved it into multiple things. Yeah. And I think that's what's normal. So I think hopefully the next evolution is giving people styles and then, you know, just taking what, whatever the modern technology is and then applying it, you know, what's, where do we have the fight? Where does it take? How do we do it? You know, what's the modern method of applying it? But then what's also like, an old school method of doing it because you know if you keep it practical which is again true to that um john wick form and those guys do like they do th- keep many things practical and i think that's why people resonate towards it right is like keanu's in it and yeah. everyone fighting keanu is in it so it doesn't really matter how they get there but the fact that they know where they want to take you they take you there and then they twist it every now and then it's exciting so yeah it's like i really hope that they just continue to push that in in other films, just develop styles more because that's what always makes it interesting, right? Like any fight, whether you see a UFC match or a boxing match, like the last thing you want to see is the same two people fighting against each other. There's no contrast. But if you see someone, you know, contrasting, even if it is the same style, what do they do different? This guy holds his hand that way. That guy stands this way, you know, like just something's, you know, subtle. Sometimes you're like, Oh, what's it going to be? I think that's cool. So hopefully that's what it is. That harkens back to the uh, the old kung fu films from the seventies for me, because yeah. you know when when Snake Fist went up against Tiger, you were rooting for one or the other because you recognized those styles. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And and you know if you want to take it back, it's even like um like Western films. You know, one guy shoots his gun this way, one guy has this kind of draw. You know, like boxing movies, whatever it is. You know, everyone has that certain moment and style, and you want to see what that leads to, right? So it's like, even in Rocky, you know, you had Rocky and Apollo Creed, how are they going to meet in the ring? And then once you saw part two, part one into part two, and they're like, how are they going to do it again? You know, it's like that same kind of (laughs) feeling. Um, I I totally agree. It's like, I think that's a cool thing to bring back. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be cool. So if you have the budget and the resources and the talent, what project do you take on and make your own? Oh boy. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) There's gotta be something that you had in your back pocket, uh, the whole time thing, you know, one day I'm going to have all of this resources available to me and I'm going to do this. Yeah. You know, I I think that's, well, not everyone. I don't want to generalize, but I think (laughs) for, um, for many filmmakers, that's obviously an ideal, right? Like what would you do if you had this and that? I don't know. I think, you know, where I'm at right now in my career and just professionally and mentally, I'm in a big learning phase. Like I, I'm just really trying to soak up everything as much as I can and just, you know, help others around me and just try to really learn as much. But 
I mean, sure. I think if I had the time and the resources, um, I guess all I really say is I'd love to do a female action comedy of some kind. Nice. And I'd love to do a musical. But A musical? But not the musical you would think it would be. And that's all I'll say. But, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. But I, I say that because I grew up watching a lot of um, musicals growing up. A lot of MGM musicals and things like that. And I think that's what also for me harkens to the style that I have, meaning that I like to see movement as is. And I don't like to, unless it's something specific, I don't like to give any illusions. You know, what you're seeing is what you get pretty much. And I like to see that. I like to see things just play out as is because then it's on the performers. And also I come from a, I have a theater background. I went to, to school for theater and, and that's what I like. It's like setting a stage and setting a moment. You know, like a musical, you set the moment, you, the camera barely moves, but you, all you're watching is the people doing their thing in the space, 3D, all that stuff. And to see that in a fight for me is really cool. You know, everyone always talks about like uh, Jackie doing it, right? Because he had such a big musical influence. But I, I think it could be done for any fight. It just depends on obviously the vision, the performers, the time. But, you know, uh, Chad's really not doing much different, right? With John Wick. It's like he, he purposely sets the camera back for reasons, you know, because you want to see Keanu doing it. You want to see Keanu doing certain things. And sure, some people might go, well, you could cut in or do that and do this. But it's like, you, of course you could. But that's the easy part. Right. Well, what would happen if he didn't do that? And that's also half the battle too, right? It's like, what would happen? How would the actor play it? You know, how would the performers play those moments? Who knows? So uh, to me, that's what's most fun to try to play is to do something a little more classical in that way. Cool. Sounds good. Sounds like fun stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's do a lightning round. You all right? Yeah. yeah, let's do it. Here we go. First one, Gene Kelly or Fred Astaire? Oof. Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire. Nice. Very yeah. good. Okay. Uh, rap, rock, country, or hip hop? Hip hop. Okay, cool. Uh, give me one song on your current playlist. Power Glove, Firebird. Oh, cool. All right. <laughs> What's your favorite midnight snack? Oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I can never say no to pizza. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then uh, speaking of pizza, Chicago deep dish or New York pizza? Uh, don't do that. Um, oh, come on. Give me one. Give me one. <laughs> I, I will say deep dish. Yeah, I have to. Sorry. <laughs> oh, well, you're Chicago. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let it go. But I, I will tell you, though, Chicago deep dish is pretty awesome. It's pretty great. It's a meal. It's your complete meal in one slice. That's it. I, will, <laughs> I am absolutely exhausted after a, a slice of Chicago deep dish. <laughs> okay. Uh, next question. You versus Vlad Rimberg in a karaoke contest. Uh, Vlad all the way because... Hell yeah. He, he will always go hard no matter what. That's how Vlad lives his style. I love it. <laughs> Very cool. All right. If you weren't making films, you'd be a... Mm, I would probably study bugs. <laughs> really? I'm a really? Yeah, I'm a really... This is a, a weird trivia about me. Um, <laughs> I, I'm really into science, and I just like learning about different things like that. But for whatever reason, I'm really into learning about insects. And um, I don't know. It just... That fascinates me. I don't know why. I really like it. I really enjoy spiders. Most people don't, and they hate them. That's just me. So there you go. Wow, spiders, really? Probably why I'm into Spider-Man. So there you go. <laughs> well, when you can radioactivate a spider and give me powers, I'll I'll look you up. Oh, awesome. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, next question. Who would you put on the Iron Throne? 
Uh, I don't know because I don't watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, that's all I got for that. Sorry. No, that's good. That's good. <laughs> all right. And last question is a trick question. So hopefully you get it right. But what's your favorite podcast about Kung Fu and martial arts movies and entertainment? Oh, I don't know. The one that is hmm, about Kung Fu, there's a drive-in it's called, oh, the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Um, so uh, catch us up then on what else you have going on uh, in your projects. Uh, I just got off a, a project called Harry Haft. Um, which is by Barry Levinson, who's the director that did uh, Good Morning Vietnam, Rain Man, or Sleepers, if um, some of the people haven't heard of his work. But yeah, it's a it's a great little project that we did. The lead actor is Ben Foster, and it's a true story. It's a true story set in World War II and beyond about a man named Harry Haft, his actual name. Uh, and Harry was a Auschwitz survivor. He was sent to Auschwitz, I think, uh, 16 or 17, and then... Within Auschwitz, he um, got put into these death matches where prisoners had to fight each other to survive. And so that's uh, all Harry had to do to survive and live. And he fought uh, uh, over 70 matches of some sort and then eventually escaped Auschwitz, fled to America. In America, um, he became a, an actual boxer, an amateur into a pro boxer, but he wasn't great at it because, you know, there's a difference between fighting for your life and fighting in a technical ring aspect. But during the 1940s, when this was all happening, he eventually got to a point where he was fighting an up-and-coming Mar- Rocky Marciano. Um, oh, cool. But in Harry's eyes, uh, he was he said, it's, it's not really true, or I, I guess I can't really say if this is true or not, because it's from his take. But Harry said that he was visited by members of the mob who told him to throw the fight. Uh, but he fought anyway, and he fought a couple of rounds, but eventually he was knocked out in the third round. And he lost, and then from there he retired. But... You know, Harry lived a regular life, got, had a family and kids, and he was, all during all this time, secretly trying to find his long-lost teenage love from um, Poland, who's where he's from. He's a Polish Jew. And eventually he did find her, but um, she had a terminal illness, and, you know, he had a he had a long, crazy life. And so eventually he told his son, uh, Alan Haft, you know, his story, and you can, there's a book on it that Alan wrote, which is uh, Harry Haft, the story of a true Auschwitz survivor. But yeah, that's the movie we did, and it was a great film to really work on, and of course to learn from such a master like Barry Levinson, and to work with such an actor like Ben Foster, who's an extremely committed actor, and just to to work with the people we did. And uh, Clayton Barber was some coordinator who was, of course, great to work with, and uh, I also worked with a, another great fight coordinator, Khalid Gaji, and yeah, together, hopefully. We, we made some really cool, but anyway, it was just a, I'm a big history buff. And so it was really cool for me to work on such a film like that. Wow. That sounds awesome. Now you got Auschwitz, lost love boxing. That's uh that sounds like some heavy stuff. Yeah. It's, I think what's cool about this movie is that it's not a war movie and it's not exactly a Holocaust movie. You know, it's not exactly a romance or a drama. It's like all of these things put together, you know, it's, it's life. And I think that's, what's cool is it tries not to make, Harry's story isn't about Harry being a hero. Harry's story is about Harry being a person. Um, and I think that's a lot of things that's normally lost from telling a war story is that, you know, like war, sometimes you do heroic things and then sometimes you do things that that are just real and they're not necessarily heroic um, because you have to survive. And sometimes, you know, life throws great things at you and then it doesn't. 
And that's just the way the cookie crumbles. So I think to tell a story like that about a person, hopefully gets other stories told like that. You know, I'm sure there's other stories like Harry's. But yeah, it was really, really, really great to try to um, bring this man's, you know, life onto screen. Hopefully we did it justice. Nice. All right. So we'll be looking forward to that. Where can my audience go to follow along with you and your adventures? I have a YouTube channel, which is a youtube.com LBP Stunch Chicago, uh, LBP. Um, and that kind of details a lot of the work that I put in and some of the other team's work. And then I have an Instagram, which is my name, Emmanuel Mantineras, put together. And then, yeah, that's it. You can see all the random fights that I force people to do. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, by the way, uh, Emmanuel does put a lot of stuff on his Instagram page. So if you follow his stories, you'll see clips of the fights that he's filmed. And uh, the nice thing about it is he'll have quick summaries of, of how many days it took to do the shoot and little bits of trivia about it. So it's a, it's a nice behind the scenes look without going into a behind the scenes video uh, of how that goes, but really, really cool stuff. And uh, the work that these guys are doing, Emmanuel Mazneris and, and the whole crew, the whole stunt community that he's a part of, that's some of the stuff that you're going to be seeing in the movies in the near future. So pay attention because Emmanuel is doing some great work. So, Absolutely go check out his YouTube channel, follow him on Instagram, and again, check out his stories because you see a lot of awesome action scenes, and it's uh, it's it's great to be able to follow along. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I call it my, um, my version of Papa video, so <laughs> <laughs> I just try to give little tidbits, and um, you know, some are fun, and then, yeah, some are just be rambling, so I guess whatever, it's my mood. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely good stuff um emmanuel thank you so much uh for stopping and, and talking with me best of luck with everything you have going on we'll be looking out for harry haft be looking out for bloodshot everything else that you have going on i know you'll be posting about it on on your instagram so guys follow him and emmanuel again thank you so much for taking some time to talk with me thank you so much for having me take care much thanks to Emmanuel Manny Manzanares for taking the time to talk with me. He's a busy guy, and he's only going to get busier as he gets involved in more and more and higher and higher profile projects. So watch for his work in Gemini Man with Will Smith, the upcoming Bloodshot movie with Vin Diesel, and Harry Haft starring Ben Foster. Now, we talked after the show, and he did say that when he wins his first Oscar, he was going to first tell his wife that he loves her, and then he was going to tell me that he loved me for having him on the show for one of his very first interviews. I'm going to hold him to that. <laughs> in the meantime... I hope he finds some time to come back and educate us some more on movie fighting and entomology. And for more of his fight work, though, follow him on Instagram because he posts a lot of great stuff there, at Emmanuel Manzanares, and head to his YouTube page, LBP Stunts Chicago. And those things are going to be in the show notes to make it easier for you. As for me, at Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast on Instagram, at Kung Fu Drive-In on Twitter and Facebook, and of course, email me at kungfudrivein at gmail.com. While you're on Twitter, check out the hashtag Castaways for more of my podcast pals. And speaking of podcasts, if you like the show, please consider heading over to iTunes and dropping a star rating or review because it really does help the show out. Otherwise, that's going to do it for this episode. So until next time, Poison Clan, peace. Poison Clan rocks the world.
This time it's warm We smash the place up with a dragon claw I see the iron fisted bunk before the daily prayers Shaolin monks on their hands running down the thousand stairs The fate of Lee Khan now's in King Yu's hands With the fearless Aida roaming over the land Yeah, the little bitch soldier is older than wiser He wants a world of peace because he doesn't want to fight you got the venom mob laying down the law Bruce Lee delivered kicks guaranteed to graze jars Fight for the cars then pass here the applause Not again back kicks will defeat the outlaws Very good, but boards don't hit back Yeah, the death jewels here, David D is coming back The Tai Chi master, Jelly's even faster Bitch had a little drink because he is the drunken master Once upon a time in China Rosamund Kwan is real fine, but see Maggie show his spine Golden Swallow has arrived Shang Chi movies will the hero will survive We've got the brave archer make his way to the top Of the mountain gonna fight, may as well pick the spot Yeah, the sky goes black, cause the vampire's back We've got Lam Jin Ying to kill them all, so stand back He plays the black magic on the soul of the sword And our sword will travel until his body's on floors Yeah, Wing Chun Shaol in a mantis style Yeah, defeat the enemy and watch him run for miles Blood will spill now on the mountain tops When we bring back the soul of the legendary pops Walking to the tea house, belly for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting ha. This time it's warm We smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting ha. This time it's warm, we smash the place up with a dragon claw. See, it's a game of death, yo, you're facing the big boss. It's once upon a time in China, counting the TikTok. The Shogun Assassin slashing blood just drip drop. The head kick, neck drop, balance the bone stop. Wanna kill Bill, better get the assassins. He's got her, just in yellow, but she is in the dragon, but in the tea rooms. That's where it'll happen. She got the bodies on the floor, when the blood it'll splatter against the walls. No fear at all, to kill them all. There's always blood spill when you head into a war. Fearless, unleashed. The fist of legend that the car gently. I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll always be a beast. You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumbling the streets. And it's simple, see the facts are these. It's only ever gonna be one Bruce Lee. Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action. Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting. Ha! This time it's warm, we smash the place up with a dragon claws. We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action. Drink a little